Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. And I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm great. How are you? We're doing this at a odd hour for us. It's the it's daylight out. I was noticing there's like a little glimmer of sun that comes through over my yeah. shoulder from the window uh, that I don't normally notice because we usually do this, uh, especially... Uh, in the winter, well after dark sets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yesterday, while I was uh, playing radio host, sports talk radio host, Dave had a chance to talk with Stephen Godfrey. Uh, Dave set that up, and we'll get into the interview. You know, unavoidable exclusion of the group of five. And, and so under Luke Fickle, I think Cincinnati has become one of the best cases, if not the best case in the country of why, you know, the, the system is fundamentally broken when it can't even show consideration to a program like Cincinnati. Is there, is there room or is, is this playoff situation? It seems, I don't want to have recency bias, but it doesn't seem like in 2017 when UCF, was doing their thing that there was this almost outcry from the media practically backing Cincinnati. Does any of that really matter? Are we any closer to a change or is it just kind of, it is what it is for the foreseeable future? You know, obviously I think had they beaten Georgia, there would have been a much better argument. I think right now the, the powers that be who want to maintain the status quo have, have, you know, the bullet that they were looking for and the fact that, Cincinnati fell apart in those last couple drives. Um, I don't think it's going to, I know, I I don't think it's going to change anything. Uh, um, It's obviously been a strange year, um, but you would assume with the season they had, if everything is normal, like we expect it to be in 2021, it's possible that Cincinnati, I mean, look, I hate even saying this because I, I I've yet to see it actually happen. So I don't believe it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you can say Cincinnati has a shot. I, I, I don't believe that, to be honest with you. I, right. I know they have I know they have the schedule in which they can make some noise, but it just we say this every year. We said it about UCF for a couple of years. We said it about, um, you know, Boise in and out for years that that, well, you know, if they take care of that one or those one or two P5s that they have and then they run the table, it's. I, I don't know what it's going to take anymore. I, I, I really do believe that the system stacked against them now. Right now, you had a you had a one loss Indiana that well two loss they lost their bowl game and then you have you have Notre Dame a playoff team on your schedule so yeah sure in theory if you win those games maybe maybe it's kind of a, a situation like Houston a couple of years ago when Tom Herman was there but I think something will happen and I think the system is designed to break the G five so I I wouldn't say that Cincinnati's any kind of lock for next year either right. Speaking on the Peach Bowl itself, not to get into the micro, just what was your outside of the last few minutes that we all don't really want to talk about? Um, what was just kind of your overall takeaway from their performance, knowing that both teams kind of had some significant contributors missing from the game? Um, well, you know, I, I tweeted this during the game. Left tackles are pretty important. And, and you know, what happened to Cincinnati on offense ultimately dictated the outcome of the game. But um, if you're looking for positives, you're looking for takeaways for larger arguments about the merit of the program. This is as good a defensive team as any, you know, as short of 
maybe the two teams playing left, you know, um, this is a power five defense and it's secondary. They do really impressive stuff. They were physical with Georgia. I think they, they were able to show their talent at times on defense against Georgia. Schematically, they were excellent. Um, I was really, really impressed. People might have some sort of rebuttal based on what's going on at Georgia and they've kind of cycled through quarterbacks, but the quarterback that they played with is the one that they're building around for next year as they try and make a national title run. So I just, uh, if you're looking for a positive to take away, it's definitely on that side of the ball. Cincinnati looks something better than what you would expect from since it, from any G five team on defense. And that's usually the place where people try and knock schools of that caliber. Right. I, I felt like I saw a lot less of the they didn't see they didn't belong when they lost versus a lot more of see this is why they should have been under at least given some consideration even though they lost yeah I yeah I I feel feel like that's a fair assessment I mean but the bottom line is that there is still enough people in the right places I guess the wrong places right that are going to shut down any any idea of this fundamentally and that's just not going to that's the problem it's not going to change anytime soon i don't expect it to and there's no financial the the right people don't have a financial incentive to change anything and unfortunately we're going to kind of keep this keep this charade going for a little while longer it looks like i'm trying to not take too hard of a stance on this and understand that a ton of it could be covid related but I have some concerns about the conference moving forward, the AAC, with a few of the teams that are supposed to be at the top um, with Cincinnati. Am I looking at that too bluntly and not giving COVID enough consideration, or are there some underlying issues that that are that you see also? Um, it depends on which team you're talking about. I think that that's, I mean, are you talking about like central Florida Central Florida or? and Houston are kind of the two that I'm, I'm not sure about as far as what they've got going on right now. And there's kind of right there with UC as far as funding, paying salaries, recruiting, things like that. So the hope is that they all do well and they can boost each other up, but I'm not sure, but I don't want to be too knee jerk also. Um, I think Houston's the one that probably has the most unknowns just because their, their season was so jagged. I mean, when you compare Cincinnati, who Cincinnati had a, a few scheduled disruptions and some unfortunate timing on some things. Uh, but, you know, think about everything that, uh, that, that Houston went through. I don't think it was possible for them to establish any consistency. Now, that being said, they definitely have some issues they need to shore up. Um, this is not the Houston of 2016 by any stretch. And then, you know, uh, Central Florida may have just been an off year. The level at which they recruit and develop, I, I don't feel I, – I feel about the same as UCF as, as I do any year. So that one may be a little overblown. Okay. We've started to see it become more public with Boise and possibly leaving the Mountain West. Their unhappiness there could have very – much contributed to Brian Harson and his interest in Auburn. Where do you kind of see that going in the next year or two? Is that a realistic thing that they could join the American? If they did, it would be a net positive for a program like Cincinnati. I think it's imperative that 
I honestly, I think if you're, if you're the American right now, I think you go out and you try and get both BYU and since, uh, excuse me, and uh, Boise. I think that makes the most sense. I, I think what BYU is kind of hanging on to this idea of independence, but to me, you know, maybe you change the scheduling requirement. I actually think the smartest thing for the American to do uh, if nothing else changes is to uh, take in more members and then maybe lower the amount of conference games. Um, you know, maybe instead of eight, you have seven, honestly. And then, uh, you, you know, reevaluate whether you need the title game. I think the it's, it's not so much about playing um, a particular American schedule as it is those 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 almost p5 teams all being together and providing each other the platform to to really build resumes against the p5 for inclusion in those bigger bowls and you know definitely to be the p5 or the g5 at large but also to try and create a playoff contender so i think i and boise and byu are the only candidates out there right now that i would i would rubber stamp right you can do that while also i guess building your house when all these conferences come up for renegotiation are we looking at a possibility for future expansion in the a5 or is are they just going to split more money amongst themselves in the next round of discussions i think it's a little it's a little too early to tell i I think we don't understand we don't understand what the platform is going to look like in terms of you know cable was the driver of all the revenue last time and the way that we consume games has changed dramatically since since the last round of, of major realignment because of cable specifically you know you we mark time by what happened with texas first on lhn so once we know where the money's headed i think you'll you'll be able to adjust the prognostication so i could tell you that it could be either or at this point right i wanted to touch real quick on coach fickle we often joke about with the access that we're given we get to know him he just seems like a normal guy and a different type of coach do you think that that is is accurate or are we painting other coaches as these like robots that you know don't just don't seem to be like him is he do you find him to be different than a lot of the other coaches that you deal with um, I mean, he's definitely a football coach. He's, I think he's, he's ruthless. Um, that doesn't have to be a pejorative though. I think that, um, he's a very detail oriented guy. He's extremely well organized. Um, he doesn't ride his emotions a lot where I think, I think, you know, there's this ethos that came out of the Nick Saban tree years ago of like almost, I think people misinterpreted that his success as, and then they took it as like working for work's sake. Um, I think Fickle's a meticulous guy. I think he's an incredibly good recruiter. And I know that culturally he understands being, you know, he, he's had such an interesting career dynamic that I think he understands almost every level of the operation and what it takes to have a winning program is to have a happy staff and a happy roster um, and, and still being able to kind of wear their ass out if you get my my drift. You know, I mean, he's he's not an easy coach on his players by any stretch, but he's also not a totalitarian. And I think he's, um, I think he's aware of, um, you know, I think smart coaches right now are looking at how, you know, how can I evolve and modernize and not necessarily stay the same. So I, I would put him in that category for sure. Fit often gets thrown around and he clearly fits here, but is fit overrated or at a place like UC is it important to find that 
Um, not, not, not necessarily Ohio specific, but Midwest and just understands Cincinnati as the city, Cincinnati and the state from a recruiting base or is fit just totally overrated and people, we just make too much of it when talking no, about I think Fit is uh, fit is imperative. And it's, it's definitely the reason why a lot of seemingly good marriages between school and coaching staff don't work out. The problem is the definition of fit is going to change everywhere you go. Um, Cincinnati understands this. Tommy Tuberville went undefeated in the SEC and he was a terrible fit at Cincinnati. So it's, it's not a one-to-one comparison when you look at different jobs. And I think that's, that's something that comes up a lot uh, in coaching searches and with search firms and as they audit candidates and, you know, it's just like they say in recruiting players, you know, is he our kind of guy? Is he OKG? Like you have to find a coach that uh, understands and, and works with the flow of the university to a degree, unless the university's asking him, hey, come in here and blow it up. I, I think that wasn't the case at UC. They were underserved with Tuberville and underperforming at the end. And Fickle and the university agreed, uh, I think, in large part on on kind of the keynotes of the thing, you know, like, here's where we can be strong. Here's what here's where we aren't working hard enough. We sit in a talent area in, in the city of Cincinnati in southern Ohio. And so you, you have to have agreement in those phases. I think Fickle and Cincinnati, you talk about fit. I, I think they understand each other very well. If I had to put you on the spot and just bet an uncomfortable amount of money is he UC's coach kickoff weekend 2023? Not three, no. Um, I thought you were going to ask me 2021, and I think the answer is yes. But um, I, hope, I hope 2021 uh, at this no, point. Three is th- that's a long time, honestly. That's a long time. And, I, and if, if it makes anyone listening to this feel better, you could ask me that question about 130 FBS coaches, and I don't know if I would say <laughs> very, yes to more very, than 30. Very true. I would say out of out of 130, I might say yes to 40. So that has nothing to do with Fickle's, you know, popularity. That's just college football. Right. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, apologize for the technical issues. Uh, hopefully sometime down the road we can do this again. I know our, our fans will uh, be interested to hear what you had to say. Tell, tell everybody where they can find you uh, on the Internet and Twitter and everything. Yeah, it's uh, at 38 Godfrey on Twitter and Instagram and bannersociety.com. You can also hear me occasionally on the uh, Split Zone Duo podcast. Awesome, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Stephen, as always, for coming on. Appreciate it. He was uh, a little short on time because I'm an idiot. We wanted to have him on another 15 or 20 minutes, but uh, sometimes things don't work out that way, Dave. No, it was, uh, I'm texting you. Where are you you at? You call me. What do you need? Like, uh, we're supposed to be doing a podcast at 1.30. Oh, crap. I forgot. All right. Uh, How do I set this Zoom up? Here's how you do it. Uh, It took a couple times to get it set up properly. Forgot to hit record for a minute or so. (laughs) Tried to squeeze in. What I was hoping would be 30 or 45 minutes of content into about 15. So if it sounds a little disjointed, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we, did, we did the best we could. Yeah, that, that uh, you know, there was, there was a, an emergency situation in radio. And uh, 
had to help out a friend. So I'm, I'm deeply indebted for, uh, for that mistake. <laughs> but what, what was your takeaway from, uh, from what you were able to talk to him about? I'd say just the biggest thing is like that. I don't think outside of your SEC Homer or your just guy that only thinks college football revolves around like four or five teams and four or five conferences that the loss in the peach bowl is a black mark from a national perspective at all. No, not even close. So, and that's kind of like, that's kind of what we discussed leading up to it. Like, was it a win-win? Is it a lose-lose? I mean, obviously the way they lost to a UC fan, and I'm sure we'll unfortunately get into that, sucked beyond compare. But they did everything we wanted them to do from a first time in this game, playing a team that, yes, had lost two games, but was clearly a different team from when they lost those two games and I thought acquitted themselves through three quarters. I mean, some people were like, UC is just bullying these dudes and they weren't that far off. So I had Georgia fans saying that to me, like y'all bullied us. Absolutely belonged on the same field. We'll break down the game. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, but there was no outside of the actual final score. To me, there was like no lose in that at all. No, I agree. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. I don't want to spend a ton of time on the Peach Bowl. We've done. No, it's almost a week. Yeah. Countless pieces of content on the Peach Bowl. Uh, You did watch it back. I watched the first half today. Uh, I didn't get to the second half yet. Did anything jump out at you? Anything catch your eye that didn't catch your eye live? Um. Jordan Davis is a huge, huge human being. Gee, that is a monster. And I do not uh, do not disparage any effort Jakari Robinson put in trying to block that man. I mean, my God. Um, Another tight end. Oh, 6'7", 260. Holy crap. Boun- bouncing off dudes. Good tacklers. Yeah. That hit him. That hit him, and he was like, didn't feel no. it. But get off me. Um, I, Georgia's just not interest in running the ball surprised me the whole game. I mean, I know JT Daniels had a really good game. They hit some big plays through the past game. I was just not expecting the game, that type of a game plan. They, I mean, I, they yards, tried to run it early. Yeah. They had 18 yards rushing in the, into the third quarter. I don't know what the number that ended up being. Cause they threw 45. Um, that surprised me. Um, Brian Cook was trying to maim people every chance <laughs> I love he got. Brian Cook. I really love and Brian Cook. And the one thing I hope translates next year is he is a excellent blitzer. Because yeah. I don't think, like, when you're blitzing from where he blitzes from, I'm not sure the, the running backs are prepared for the jolt they get from a guy his size. Like, Right. When you when you're pass setting to to pass block as a running back in the middle, you're expecting to get hit by a linebacker. So you're like setting yourself up to take on that blow. And he comes around the edge on the play that Jarrell actually forced the fumble and just destroyed the running back. Made Daniels step up. Jarrell 
an excellent play, but like fighting all the way back around on the play to force the fumble. But, um, I mean, he hits like, um, he hits like, you know, they talk about boxers with heavy hands, right? He has a heavy body, right? <laughs> he, he hits and, and you can see people like kind of shocked by the impact. And he but did yeah. it to five other, like five different times throughout so, the game. I mean, I will say I will take some measure of blame, totally dependent on what the fan base wants to put on me. I'm at their mercy. I believe it was in the third quarter. UC was winning 21 to 10. I think it was after Arquan knocked the dude out on the fourth down play when they were afraid to run the ball on fourth and one. I believe that was the moment I stood up and yelled, um, run up the score Bearcats. <laughs> and I think we gained like 17 yards from that point on. So, so it's your fault. I will take faults, pass any blame you want to give to Mike Denbrock or Desmond Ritter on to me. My shoulders can handle it. Uh, I know you're not a fan of the third and two play. I'm disgusted by it. To, still to this day. It, w- it was okay. So what if I tell you it was supposed to be a run? Des saw Michael Young break wide open and inexplicable. Well, not, I don't know. Inexplicably, how he broke is, wide open. How is supposed to be a run have a guy going 40 yards downfield and another because guy going out in a pass an, pattern and then it's another an RPO. It's called an that's RPO. It's not supposed game. to be a run. That's supposed to be a decision between run or pass. Supposed well, to be a run is Desmond run the ball to the corner and try to gain two yards and stay in bounds in the process. That's a run. Desmond, we're running a play that you you have run for like 500 yards this year and like eight touchdowns. Don't don't no options. There was too many option. variables. There was an option. Too many variables. He took the option. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm if the play is successful, it's to me it's not even if the play is successful or the like this is our best play like my I just, I can't, I always keep coming back to this golf analogy that I put out because it is so apropos to me. I'm trying to win my first major. The best thing I do is hit driver on the 18th hole. I don't need to hit driver. I don't still hit it because it's the best thing I do, even though, because I don't need to, like you didn't need to do that. I would have, I would have more rather seen them run the ball on third down get stopped and run it again and just say, we're winning the game right here on fourth down. Yeah. I don't hate that idea. I don't hate that thought. I'm one. I'm not, I mean, I know it's been discussed like snapping the ball with 10 seconds on one play, 12 seconds on I, that. That's like, whatever to me, just my problem was just the outside of a fumble, which of course can happen legitimately the worst thing that could have happened was that you get stopped, you burn 40 seconds and they start the ball on the 20 with about 40 seconds left instead of a minute 28. Yeah. And, I mean, you, have your, and you have your defense who has played great all game. Except for defending the deep ball, which they would have thrown a deep ball. 
Yeah, but you know they're going to do that at that point. So you're playing a little bit different coverage than you would be in the second quarter or the first quarter when they hit those other ones. I mean, a couple of those other ones were just they straight ran past. Well, and I mean, George Pickens made an unbelievable catch on the one. Yeah. I mean, that was. I'm so mad we didn't get to see him in sauce. I know. But I just like I get I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you're wrong. Like. <laughs> like you can running the ball there with your tight ends and your quarterback in just a direct snap sprint to whatever side you want, but stay in bounds. That is being aggressive. He's your best player. Your your running game, regardless of the opponent, and your tight ends are your best asset offensively. And we didn't use it. They used Wiley to get young. Wide open up the field. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was good. I got you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Dave's face right yeah. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel so much better. The beard looks great, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's, it's really grown in. It's really yeah. filled out. It's been like this for about 20 years. Nothing, it, it nothing looks, up top. Look- here can it looks, it looks more full. Day. Looks more full than oh, usual. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was not a happy man walking out of Mercedes Benz Stadium. The Twitter account uh, conveyed that message. First time I've actually ever used the F word in a tweet. Yeah, I don't ever do that either. I mean, that's that's. But I don't do that from the from the site account. The business like, account, it's right? Not like I try, you know. I was just like, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it'll go down in history as a, as an all time heartbreaker. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to do too much more. Like, there's, there's plenty of other stuff to get into. Yeah. I mean, and the thing too, is like, that's not even that aside, like, Nothing about the game was a fluke. They they had chances to do things to be up by even more. I mean, I'm watch, re-watching it today. In the first half, about halfway through the second quarter, you get first and goal or first and 10 at the 18, pass to Wiley, which would have been a first down and goal or second and one, and then you get – Darius Harper, a legal man downfield, which was absolutely the right call. I mean, he was five yards downfield almost at the snap. Yeah. Which then turns into a field goal attempt where Jordan Davis just, I mean. Big Boyd. Just bulldozed. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, whatever, call the person out. But just got, you know. Body. He got he got bulldozed. Like he he got he got bulldozed. So I mean, you're down there and there's nothing, yeah. no points. And it could have been first and goal, second and goal, second and one from the nine, first and goal from the eight, depending on where they mark it. Just you know, oh well, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, let's get into uh, what's happened since. Uh, okay. You want to do stay go or you want to do Freeman first? Freeman. I mean, that's the okay. topic du jour, I would say. As of one forty-six on Wednesday, January 6th, there's really no update, right? 
No, but I mean, we still need to go over all the. No, I mean, just like nothing has really happened. No, he's flying to Baton Rouge. To, he was at Notre Dame on Tuesday. Uh, he and his wife uh, just there to visit Mike Mickens, of course. Right. Uh, just casual, friendly. I'm sure they maybe gave him a tour. Uh, showed him. <laughs> Can you? Are coaches allowed to take official visits? I would say they are. <laughs> just players that aren't allowed to take official right. visits. Okay. Um, I mean, he interviewed at Notre Dame on Tuesday. Uh, tonight he flies to Baton Rouge. Uh, that interview is going to be tomorrow, Thursday. Officially, it'll be him and his wife. You know it's serious. They're sending the PJ. The old private jet is headed to Cincinnati to pick up Marcus, take him to Baton Rouge and bring him back on Thursday. Uh, from there, it's going to be interesting. Um, Auburn is trying really hard, but that doesn't seem to have gained a whole lot of traction. And I've had a hard time really getting a feel for Texas and where they're at. He, they definitely, his name has definitely not been connected to Texas as aggressively as, as some of the other places. And um, if you know anything about the 24 seven sports network, Chip Brown is like the godfather of this business. Like he is connected. I mean, he had the Herman and Sark stuff. He had the Sark stuff before anybody, before what people were still tweeting that Herman was, was fired. And Chip Brown had that they were hiring Sark. Well, didn't he have um, like Longhorn Network? Oh, yeah. And like Big 12 expansion stuff. I mean, he's been around for a long, he's, long time. I wonder, they missed on Barry Odom. Yeah. So I wonder if that does anything. They missed on Muschamp. Well, yeah. Well, Muschamp, yeah, just said he didn't want to. Yeah. Uh, so, or maybe Ellis, I don't know. I, this is all confusing. You never, you never have this many like defensive coordinator positions open at the same time of this caliber of program. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a complete uh, microcosm of the fact that we're, we're right now in a, in a situation where you're not seeing many head coaches fired, but you are seeing a lot of coordinator movement because that's a lot cheaper. So that moves the chess pieces. Um, I when do I think just... there's what? Go ahead. I do think there's another job that's going to pop open defensive coordinator that he would be a uh, pretty significant target for. Um, so I would keep an eye on the Boise state job and a name that has been heavily rumored for the Boise state job. And that would lead you to uh, potentially this job opening that I think would come after him uh, based on some back channel discussions. Uh, I think he would definitely be a target of interest if that job opened. A uh, lot of good gear involved with that job. Catch my drift. That's an interesting one. I don't know what the connection would be. Marcus is really good at his job. No, I mean, it's like, I mean, I get that part, but like, that that doesn't make much sense. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense. I just it's a 
the premier job that could come open that I think yeah. they would be interested interested heavily in Marcus. Um, the more this goes, Dave, and and this could just be uh, dealing with it every day. The more I I think it's becoming more and more likely he goes. Well, yeah, I've been on that camp the whole time. I, yeah. I just look at it from the standpoint of like we're not talking about is Butch Jones going to go to Purdue or Colorado or Kentucky ends up at Tennessee. Like Marcus has interest from schools who since 2005 have all won national championships. Yes. Texas. LSU, Auburn. What's the other one? No, Notre Dame has not, but I mean, they're like the premier. They've been there. Premier, the, the bluest of blue blood programs in the country. Right. He is 34 years old. What is, you do not get to the level that he's at without being incredibly ambitious. No coach gets to the level that they are at in high, high, high college football without being, excuse me, incredibly ambitious. What is Luke Fickle and UC's mantra, so to speak? Let it fly. This is like the most let it fly moment ever. Also, together, everyone achieves more. Together, everyone did achieve more. Together, (laughs) everyone achieved more for Marcus Freeman. Yeah. I yeah. just don't like of course I want him to stay and be UC's defensive coordinator, but like let's be serious here. Him staying last year was found money. Yeah, he, he had multiple opportunities, including the NFL on his plate last year. So I you know, I'm not saying this because I don't want him to stay. I obviously want him to stay. I just don't know why he would at this point. I mean, it just comes down to where he thinks he's best suited to get a job, a head coaching job from the but like, Even in the interim, when you've done what you've done at UC, doesn't a part of you go, okay, now I want to see what I can do against with all the resources against not even with all the research, but just against the best of the best. Because I know he, yeah, feels, I know he feels his guys are the same. But, but like you said, all the resources. What can I do? Who can I get when recruiting budget doesn't exist? When facility issues don't exist? When my whole roster is full of four and five stars? And maybe that might not be a great thing for him. Like, he is a very, very demanding coach. Will those kids work like the kids at UC? I don't know. But you're paid handsomely to make them work the way you want them to work. So, like, everybody wants to be a fan but doesn't want to put themselves in those shoes. Like, 
it's not a knock on UC if he takes another job. It's an opportunity. No, I don't think anybody's look. I mean, I'm sure some fans are going to, you know, it's go an, It's an opportunity it. that, like, I just wouldn't expect him to pass it up, whether it's LSU, whether it's Notre Dame, whether it's Texas, whether it's Auburn, whether it's any, like, not anybody. But, I mean, we're talking about, like I said, national championship level teams. Yeah. Teams with, even if they haven't performed well lately, have boatloads of talent on the roster to work through. LSU returns 20 of their 22 main guys, yeah. the entire defensive line. Talent wasn't an issue. They were totally unorganized and coached poorly if you watched them play. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be coaching a first round, def- he would be coaching a first round defensive lineman. He would be coaching arguably with sauce, one of the two or three best corners in the country. I mean, I can't imagine they've got issues at linebacker giving the way, given the way that LSU has always looked. No, at linebacker. They don't have issues as far as athletes anywhere. They need right. organization. They need like structure. Bo, Bo Pelini was a disaster higher the minute it came out of Ed Orgeron's mouth. Right. So I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't have really a whole lot else to say is other than I hope he shoots a shot and I would love him to stay, but I'm still going to root like hell for him because he is a great dude. He's been incredible to us. You know, the players love the hell out of him and we need to celebrate successes more. And I'm not going to be mad if Marcus leaves to go to Notre Dame. I'm going to be happy that we had Marcus as our defensive coordinator for, I'm not going to count the first year because that no one was good the first year, but three years of bona fide, like excellence. I mean, they were the best defense in the country this year, the best on several metrics. Yeah. They're the the best defense in school history by, I mean, a lot. I would say a lot. So I'm going to choose to celebrate the fact that in a year that sucked so about for so many reasons, that if he does take another job, that UC football was not one of the things that sucked this year, and the defense <laughs> had a major, major say in that. I, I agree with all points. I, I do. Um, I think there is a tug at the heartstrings for him to stay. But sure, I, I mean, think when you sit down and all things considered, I just, it, it's hard to fathom staying. Yeah. I mean, his family's in Dayton. He was recruited by and played for Luke coached with Luke was fired at Purdue. Luke gave him a chance to come be his defensive coordinator now, at I have no, 30 years old. I have no, right. I have no idea if he had other opportunities. Maybe that was his only chance to be a defensive coordinator. Maybe everything else was like, okay, you got to go back and be a linebacker's coach somewhere. So they, I mean, they, they lived with the guy for Christ's sakes. They could have very yeah. easily rented a house this summer for a couple months. They lived with the fickles. So there is clearly. How big is Luke Fickle's basement? Just the whole house, man. I mean. A family of eight lived in his basement. <laughs> Think about that. Not Freeman and his wife 
my, and like, like they're my, two toddlers. My entire house wouldn't be close to big enough for a family of eight to live in. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm sure there's a part of him that's like, I want to run this back. Like we can, with what we've got coming back, we can make like, you know how coaches are. We can make the playoff. We can go 12 and 0. We can, or 13 and 0. We can beat Indiana and Notre Dame and go undefeated. And I want to be a part of that. I just don't think that that outweighs the, oh, I can go to the playoff. Or, you know, I can, my defense can be on NBC or ESPN every week. And I mean, go, you know, if you look at specifics, you look at Notre Dame, like Clark Lee left them in a very good spot in terms of their talent and the way that they play. Like Notre Dame had a very good defense this year outside of playing Clemson. They did. Which, I mean, I, I, I am not an expert on <coughs> Notre Dame's personnel. I just know their two best players won't be on the team next year. Yeah, um, but they still. Not, but you're not making a decision like this because a couple guys that are first or second round draft picks are turning pro. Right. You're making this decision as a as a whole, as right. a big picture. Um, LSU will be loaded. I mean, I think those are the two. Yeah, I. I mean, I just haven't. You, uh, Auburn's name has come up. I haven't felt much traction with that. Like, I just don't think he's going to be. And I also don't think he's the type of guy that like is just going to go on a bunch of interviews to go on interviews. Like he, he figures out what he feels are his two best options in this case, maybe. And talks to those coaches and then weighs that against weighs them against each other. And then against, staying at UC like I, I can't see him like doing these then next week going to Auburn oh Texas you've missed on your first one or two or you've been dragging your feet okay I'll go there uh, other school that might hire someone now needs a defensive coordinator all right yeah I'll, I'll fly out there like that doesn't no. seem like Marcus he's I don't think he's much for this whole charade in the first place he is not I I can uh I can say that with confidence so like yeah, going on like five interviews, hopscotching around, airplane, 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 being away from your kids. Like, it doesn't strike me as something he's want, really wanting to do. He, he doesn't have to. I mean, he's got great options. If, they, if those other schools were as serious as LSU and Notre Dame, they would have already been able to set something up. So either they haven't been as serious to him or he just doesn't see it as, a, as good of a fit as LSU, Notre Dame, or UC. Right. Um, if he goes, stay in-house, open it up, see who comes calling. I mean, I, I've put on the board uh, one name I have heard, if they have to look, would be Chris Ash. I, I haven't sensed that he's going to stay at Texas. And I know he's he's still his name is still being kicked around, but if you're going to keep your defensive coordinator, do you really like go about the process of going through Will Muschamp and and Odom and no? And I I would think he was all, he was there one year. Tom Herman's hire. I don't think that Sark would keep him. Um, to your original question, I would definitely open it up. Because you know there are coaches right now 
telling their agents, if Marcus leaves, I want my name there, but don't put my name there yet because if he doesn't leave, I don't want my coach knowing that I was interested. Right. So there's definitely behind the scenes stuff going on, but I don't see, I don't see the downside to opening it up. And, and we know how Luke is. We know that he's not like for the most vast majority of his hires, there's been some tie to him professionally. Yeah. Or to UC. And someone has suggested, you know, like a Mike Mickens, like a Gino Gadouli, like Gino and Dan Enos, like Mike Mickens and Perry Eliano. There's some level of six degrees of separation. But why would you not at least see who is interested? Like I threw Derek Mason's name out there, Vanderbilt's coach. Mm -hmm. He's a highly, highly accomplished defensive coordinator who I think might be in the running for like an Auburn. Um, but why not see if he's interested or if he contacts you? Like I wouldn't just close it off and go internal without seeing who might be interested. I don't think that hurts your internal candidacies or candidates by just saying like, Hey, we're going to just see what happens. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when was this? Yeah, I mean, here's here's what's really weird, and this is kind of what I was talking about with Texas. Looking at Horns Illustrated right now, uh, it's from twelve forty eight yesterday. I've talked to two sources who indicated Chris Ash is under strong consideration to remain at Texas. From what we know, Sark has talked with several assistants, but Ash isn't one of them yet. I mean, if he hasn't even talked to him, how could he possibly be under strong consideration to stay? Like. Stan Drayton's already said he's staying. He tweeted out some gif or yeah or picture or whatever. Like you talk to your running backs coach, he's staying, but you didn't talk to your defensive coordinator because you're looking for somebody else, right? Uh, maybe he stays. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not that well versed in no and the I'm things not... that happen at Texas. I wh uh, what I would say is if I was Chris Ash, and this is how I was being treated, I'd be a bit skeptical. Right. I mean, you maybe don't burn a bridge because you're not sure what's next for you, but. Yeah. I'm not saying burn the bridge. I'm just saying like, I would, it would seem weird to me that we're like three days into Sark being on the job and he hasn't uh, found your phone number in his Rolodex yet. Right. Like where am I on your priority list? If you can't even pick up the phone or shoot me a text and and try to get on the same page, you know, but you can hire other coaches. You can tell other coaches that they're being kept. So yeah, I don't, it doesn't, it seems like that would need to take a weird spin to end up back with Ash being Texas's defensive coordinator. I mean, in-house, Brian Mason's the only one that really makes sense, right? I think so. I mean, you don't really have a – because Coach Tenuta has kind of taken a – you know, not kind of, has taken like an off-the-field type of role. I, I don't think he wants to No, to I'm do saying you don't have anybody that's kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, this is the obvious 
choice. I mean, right. if you go with anybody in house, it's someone who, to the best of my knowledge, has never called a defense. Eliano's called defenses. Has he? Okay. Yeah. I, at New Mexico, he was there. He was their DC in New Mexico. Um, it would result in the least amount of like staff shifting. You would, I'm assuming, Mace would just become the linebackers coach, and you would go out and get a special teams coordinator. Um, because like if Ash came in, he's only coached DBs and safeties. So, do you then move Mace to linebacker coach? strictly and then have to get a special teams coordinator also like there's more there's just more questions yeah in that regard i mean i'm sure these guys can coach other positions but like ash has coached for 20 years and he's only really been a defensive coordinator with you know concentration in the secondary so i don't think you'd ask him to then just all of a sudden go coach linebackers right well i mean i think mace would be the natural if you have to replace Freeman, Mace is your natural progression at linebacker coach uh, right. at worst. And then you figure out, you know, where everybody else fits from there. I mean, really, it would be interesting if you if you put Mace at linebackers and kept him as special teams coordinator, you wouldn't necessarily need Ash to coach a position. No which is is rare in the way things are set up but i mean it would work yeah just spitballing here sure i mean that's all we're we're really doing i mean it's all conjecture until there's an actual decision made right um i i know i've i've said i feel like he's leaning towards staying and there are people close to the program that have told me he's leaning towards staying. There are other people in the program that feel like uh, that is a generous uh, assumption. I would, I would put my personal feelings at 50, 50 at best, probably I mean, with a unless, slight lean. Unless towards Marcus leaving. is telling people how he's feeling. You can really only go off of how you think it would play out. You know, like if you're a coach, you know, talking to you, unless he's like specifically said like, Hey, I'm probably going, or I'm probably staying. Like you're only then going off of what you think would happen. Right. So it's hard to, you know, I think like, I think I would go. So I'm thinking he would go like, I'm laying out the, <laughs> the pros and cons. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go give this a shot. Um, he might look at it differently. I don't know. It's also, I would, just be, I would be, at this point, with these type of offers, I would be pretty damn surprised if he was just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Stay and go. Let's uh, let's hit that up for a little while here. Um, I think Kobe so far has been the biggest surprise stay. For sure. Uh, I don't see any goes that have surprised me. Nope. Me neither. Um, I mean, there's a difference between surprise and disagree with. <laughs> right. Right. So you've got Forrest Wiggins, Dokes, Tucky Ponder, Smith, Hudson have all uh, declared. I don't know if I'm missing somebody in there. Cam Young. 
And then staying Kobe Bryant, Jordan Jones. I was a little surprised by Jones as well. Uh, just because, like I said on the board, with transfers, you never know like how deep that connection got in one year. Yeah, I would say he would be – he was a, a surprise. Not that I just assumed he wasn't going to come back. But I right. just, it was, you know, it was one that we didn't – we hadn't really honestly like dug too deep into to f- figure out if there was – a lean one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, that one's just more of, um, you came here, you grad transferred, you played your year. Uh, what really is your like long-term connection and like establishment with established feelings with the program and to see him come back was a good, I mean, he's got a chance to, to be more of a piece than he was last year. I think so. He's big. He runs good routes. He's got good speed. Um, I mean, he's obviously going to slot in still behind Pierce and Michael Young, but he's a valuable piece in that wide receiver rotation. You can throw the ball the ball to him with with a good deal of confidence. I guess is what I would say. Well, yeah, and how much does someone like that and Michael Young, for that matter, benefit if we have like an actual off season? Right. Where, where the they quarterback actually can get work to work with, with their the receivers. <laughs> right. Um, so really, it's gone pretty much as expected. We haven't heard from Joel DeBlanco, who it seems like from talking to people, there's a good chance he returns. Not that it's done, but it's definitely on the table with him. Um. I don't expect Brooks and Brown to come back. I think the door would be open for either if they wanted to, <clears throat> but you're talking to two guys that, you know, fifth year guys, <clears throat> which that's, that's a tough one, right? Yeah. Heaven, heaven coming back for year six. I uh, if you, I was only in school five plus years cause I was too damn lazy to get out any sooner. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know if I, these guys at some point, they're like, I'm done with this crap. Right. Some guys love it. Some guys want to stick around. Other guys want to get on with life. Uh, Darius Harper. I don't expect to come back. Um, that leaves you the big two that we don't know yet. Des and my I, I feel pretty good about Des. I, and I've said this throughout the season, like somebody like that, like with James Hudson, notice I never, never really was uh, all that enthusiastic about James coming back. Right. Mike Warren. I mean, I said on Mike last year from day one. Oh, we, we both knew. Yeah. I mean, there was no chance. There's word spreads on these guys and, and what they're thinking. Right. I'd never got that word from Des. I mean, there's all that, you know, especially since um, his draft stock started to rise and people really started to talk about him in the NFL. There's been kind of a cautious, like, like a cautious optimism, but it was never, oh, he's probably gone. Like, yeah. eh, we're not, we're, we're preparing for Ben to be our quarterback next year is what it would have, you know, what the, the, the message would have been. 
And that's never been the message. So, I mean, I'm sure Des and his family have spent a lot of time talking this over. I know what, I think Sunday, Fick was down in Louisville and, and talked to him and his family. I'm sure Gina was probably with him. Um, sat down, talked to Des, talked to his mom, and, and calculated a, a plan or at least went through their options. I think any day now we should hear what, what's happening with Des. I think by, by the end of the week for sure. Uh, but I, I feel pretty good that we'll see Des back as the, the think, quarterback. Do you think since he's done a gender reveal already that he will do something similar with like a I'm returning or I'm going to the draft <laughs> reveal? So what would the – like it's pink or blue for a gender reveal. What would the – like what, what would the indicator be? I don't know. Like uh... – like red smoke or like blue smoke for the draft in the draft yeah, logo blue. Something like, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so you just change the pink to a darker, a darker shade. Or they've go got red. like the Bearcat logo or the NFL logo, like drawn on his fiance's stomach, like ba- <laughs> the baby bump and <laughs> the baby tells everybody where, what he's doing. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I think we should know soon on Des. Within the next day or two. Friday, I think, at the latest. But I think we'll know soon. My Jay, uh, from what I've I've heard, Luke is in Florida today. I would guess Greg Scruggs is down there with him. Uh, Greg and My Jay have been really, really close. Basically, since the day My Jay got to campus, uh, when Scruggs was the, the player development guy. This one, I'm a little more up in the air on, but I still think I would lean towards coming back and getting an extra year. I mean, he played this year like 230-235. Yeah. I think you show up to work out for NFL teams or talk to NFL teams at 235. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult because that's you, you need to be in that 260, 250, 260 range really to be an edge rusher these days. Well, if 230. If, if you're at 6'5". He's six five. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you're Elvis Doomerville. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he hasn't put it on tape, because I think his his tape this year is going to be outstanding. Um, I think he could use one more year of development to really be ready. No, I, I agree. I mean what what's your we got three, we got three options, Freeman, Des. My Jay, how do you think it all plays out? Uh, I would, I would say I feel the strongest about Des returning. I would agree. I feel, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like fifth. Either decision by My Jay wouldn't surprise me, and I am, just I'm in. The, I'm expecting Marcus to take one of these opportunities. Like. I would be more shocked if he came back than if Dez went pro. I'm trending that way. <laughs> I'm trending that way. I want to believe the intel that says he's. He, it's more likely he returns. And I, I, you know, sometimes in reading the tea leaves by yourself, especially, it's like trying to bet with too much, gamble with too much information. 
Yeah, your paralysis it, by analysis. Yeah, and I think I've gotten to paralysis by analysis with Marcus because I've just spent so much time dealing with it since Sunday. Yeah. Hopefully my instincts end up uh, miscalculated. I, I wish they were still living with the fickles. Then Luke just wouldn't let him go on these interviews. Right. You're grounded. Like, just, okay, you can go if you can get by me. <laughs> I don't know. Marcus has got, what, 12 years on him? Yeah, Luke also, I'm pretty sure, can still tie handle. him into a pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else do you want to get into? Um, I don't know. What else you got? I mean, I, that, these are the things that I wanted to talk about. That's all I have. So, I mean, okay. You know, I'll I'll save basketball for Berg. Maybe Friday. I'll try you to. You guys get have Berg a uh, a recruiting story coming out soon, right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. By the time most people are listening to this, I believe that recruiting stories should probably be published. Uh, if not, soon. If you've made it this far into the podcast. Soon. But not not quite yet. <laughs> yeah. Not quite there yet, but we're headed in that direction. They don't mess around. What else, uh, they, what else they got to do now that the season's over? Right. I guess Very one, true. one question, and there, you might not even have an answer to this yet. I was just thinking about it the other day. It's like, so how, like, winter workouts and spring practice? I mean, you just play the season, so obviously you can have those things, but, like, are they push? Do you know if they're going to push spring practice later? That's my knowledge. I, I don't think like, they've really see if issues get better and then you don't have to socially distance as much or, you know, things happen. You know, I don't know. I was just thinking like, well, maybe you do it later into April, more people get vaccinated. Like, but that would I mean, you know, I mean they're going to start winter workouts here. What? They come back Monday. I'm guessing in the next week or so. Uh, they, because of the way the schedule changed this year, uh, they didn't come back this week like they normally do. They're coming back next week. Um, so might be a week and a half. Might be like the 18th or so before they get started on those. Um, obviously, it'll be different this year because you'll have smaller uh, lifting groups and things will have to be compartmentalized a little bit. Hmm. Let me check something right here. Oh, Brian Doan, who is uh, handles East Coast recruiting. Yeah. For 24-7 sports. Has uh, just put in a crystal ball pick for James Tunstall. Oh, who is James Tunstall? Chad? He is an he is an offensive tackle. He is originally from Maryland. Uh, I'm going to have to look this stuff up. He's a new name for me. Hold on. Let me. <laughs> Do my okay. research here. This is great radio while Chad researches. He started his career at UConn. He was in the 2017 recruiting class for the UConn Huskies. Uh, you might be familiar with another member of the 2017 recruiting class 
for the Yukon Huskies who uh the research I'm yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Uh they're friends. They're friends. Oh, okay. That's always a bonus. Yeah. Apparently they uh they're they're close and they talk regularly. Um so yeah, uh and then he went to Stony Brook uh when everybody left Yukon. And last year he was uh was a all-American at Stony Brook playing left tackle. 6'10 or 6'6 320 pounds. So, so uh because yeah. This is this is a stupid NCAA question but like <laughs> because Stony Brook didn't play. Does, it's a many, free year for everybody. So it just counts as a, just one free year, even though they didn't, you know, they didn't play or whatever. Yeah. Um, my understanding is he would come in as a redshirt junior. Okay. Took two years to play. And then if you could weasel into all the technicalities, you might be able to find a third. Oh, a third year. Maybe. I, I, I've tried to get a, a secure answer on, on that. And right now the secure answer is we're confident he has two. Well, like this is just the research that I'm doing uh, on the fly here during yeah. the show. I mean, he, he'd have to, at that point, he'd have to be pretty old. Like you think he's good. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Morgan James played and he was like 37 uh, two years. I would, uh, two years is what I would, uh, two years of eligibility is what I would count on. Cool. And then he would, you know, if he was awesome after one, he could do whatever he needed, you know, he could declare or whatever, but, uh, he would, he would certainly fit the profile of what I was describing that they would do with their final spot in the 2021 class. Yes. I think that became apparent by about three thirty last Friday. <laughs> I've been saying it long before then. Long before then. Right. But yeah, uh, James Tunstall. The name to keep an eye on. Well, watch, might want to watch that one, fan. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I love this podcast sometimes. This is- I love this podcast sometimes. We could literally We're- probably like break some form of news every show every podcast if we wanted to. <laughs> but then it would be like old by the time people it broke to it, so. yeah um all right well uh, that's about all i got uh, do you have anything else um you you still uh you still going with the basketball wins more than football that i asked you two weeks ago yeah, I still think they get more than nine, but we're getting it's getting a little hairy. It's that that gamble's getting a little dicey. That gamble's getting a little dicey. A little dicey. Your uh, your odds have de- your futures odds have definitely gone oh, down for sure. But I'll leave that to you and Berg. It's probably for the best. <laughs> It's probably for the best. Well, yeah, because I, w- I wouldn't know what I was talking about at this point. So. Right, right. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm uh, 
putting a story in the system. <laughs> boy, oh boy. This place is something else. All right. Thanks to uh, Stephen Godfrey for uh, carving some time out for us. Uh, Dave, good job with that interview, and thanks for getting it done, even though uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, you know, we're a team here. Somebody died. I, re- I realize that. Just trying to be a good human, Dave. You know, we're just going to leave out the part that it was an hour and a half before you had to be on air. So I was driving there. I have very important pre pre show production meetings with Taryn. Right. That involve cookies from Jason's Deli. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's actually where I was at when I finally got you set up. I was picking up my Jason's Deli for lunch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's my bad. That's hand up, hand up. That's on me. It's all right. We'll we'll live. You know, we'll 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 plow ahead. We'll persevere. We'll come we'll back better, better than ever next time. Teamwork makes the dream work, and that's why you're such a valuable part of this team here. Something uh, like be- that. Before we go, I'll just you know, let me let me make Dave happy before we get out of here. Oh my God! Look at all those zeros. One. <laughs> there you go, buddy. What? Uh, one basketball question, real quick before we go. What's the deal with Caleb Mills? Uh, that's going what, some somewhere closer to home. That was but. pretty surprising, right? Uh, I mean, maybe I not because he had sat out the last game, so maybe it wasn't like totally surprising, but. It, surprising in that it, it, it happened. Uh, my question there was always going to be like, how long was that going to last with that kid, the best player on your team That's coming exactly off the bench? Exactly what I was going to say. Like how, how long do you think he's going to be cool with that? Yeah. Uh, the answer was January 5th, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'll go somewhere in the ACC close to home. Oh, sure. Like Duke or North Carolina. Yeah. Or NC State. I, I could see NC State would probably be perfect for Caleb Mills. Perfect fit. But did you did you get that? I did. All right. Thank you. Thank you for all your hard work. Two commas. You are just too generous. I mean, we do things big around here. That's right. <laughs> all right. Thanks to Stephen Godfrey. Thanks to Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ podcast brought to you by the Holy Grail right here on BearcatJournal.com.